Hello, and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am the occasional moderator, Father Chuck. J- JP is unfortunately not able to be with us because he is um, he is involved in that farm life, and it is harvest time, and so um, he 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 his schedule has um, been impacted by the rhythms of the created order. Um, and so I'm here to moderate our discussion. Um, and with me is Father Fun. Hey, just the two of us. Just the two it's of an us. Episcopal, it's another Episcopal takeover. What if we just just started getting like inside baseball Episcopal church stuff and just completely <laughs> everything else out the window? Hey, I just had a fascinating, I had two fascinating conversations today about what the authority of the bishops were around the Eucharist and whether or not a bishop can inhibit the performance of Eucharist, of the Eucharist, except in cases of actual discipline. So like in the current, Mm. can the bishop stop me from, you know, obviously the bishop can, in the case of COVID, highly recommend that no Eucharist take place. But if I am if I am a sacramental officer and independent in my sacramentality, can the bishop kind of supersede the authority of the prayer book? Where you know where does the where's the authority line end? And apparently, this is a something that is going on. These these are the conversations that are happening in the uh, Anglo-Catholic circles of our of our church, and it ended up being kind of a fascinating conversation. I'm also having to think about baptism in the age of COVID, and that's a whole other conversation. But right, yeah, that's um the convert the, the I, I'm very sensitive to the to the to the Eucharistic conversation mm-hmm. and my my thing is is that you know we have rubrics and we can't just like throw those out the window like they exist for a reason they're not these weren't arbitrary things that we created that we can just sort of cast aside and I will say that I've appreciated that Bishop Fitzpatrick here in Hawaii has um, tended to take the, the the track of like you know I highly recommend that you you know these are the things that you do um this friend who asked me this question was he wanted to know because there was a growing movement in his diocese which shall remain nameless uh to bring the bishop up on title four charges because he had because his because he had you know canceled eucharist or whatever the you know whatever Mm -hmm. word is he had required that it not be performed instead of doing a high a high recommendation i was just like i just do not like i'm just not interested in bringing people up on title four charge these are the in the Episcopal Church, these are the disciplinary canons. We were joking about getting inside baseball, and here we are already talking yeah. about Title IV. So. Well, and let me just say inside baseball again. It's an interesting conversation given that they just brought Bishop Love up on Title IV, you know, canonical charges for his refusal to allow same-sex blessings in his diocese. Mm-hmm. When Resolution B12, uh, this is now that's inside, right? Like just going at the resolution. <laughs> That when Resolution B12 was passed at the General <laughs> Convention, right, that allowed for allowed for same-sex blessings in all dioceses, that there was no canonical change saying that, like, you have to do this, that there is no there was no punishment for, like, nothing in there, like, what that, what happens if you refuse? And so it's interesting that they brought him up on canonical charges for something that there is no real canonical rule for. But all this other stuff that we actually have canonical rules for, we just sort of like turn a blind eye to. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I, I, I had that. I don't remember what it was specifically about, but I had that thought experiment 
a few years ago about like when I when I swear to uphold the you know doctrine and faith of the church, whatever the language is, like obviously the canons are the are the the formalized rules, the the the, the law, you know, the con the, the mm -hmm. constitutional law or whatever of the of the church, but that the resolutions, you know, like if I break a resolution, have I sworn to uphold the resolutions? You know, it's 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 it, especially if they haven't changed cans. I don't know. It's a good. It's a good question. Well, and 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 then comes that question of when you like every year when you renew your your ordination vows, does that sort of like cover you know the new stuff? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's that's an interesting kind of original and originalist. Yeah. Hi, sweetie. Kids are home from school. Um. Okay, but, but we're here because this is uh, it's still music mayhem, right? Yeah, I think it's funny that we're gonna, you and I are gonna like, we're gonna like, sort of fight moderate. I think because <laughs> you're gonna try to keep me on task, and I'm gonna try to want to say a bunch of BS. I've I, gotten really, I've done a really good job of letting JP be, JP be the moderator this time around. You um, have, yeah. It's it's hard, it's hard for me, but. Um, well, I mean, that's why you're that's why you're a canon to the ordinary now. Like that's part of your. Right, like but it's not your like your personality gonna have, is. Like, I'm gonna have much less ability to step in and like lead the conversation. You know, I, I was thinking about this the other day that, you know, I've been on, I've been ordained. How long have we been ordained? Eight years? Nine years? Nine years. And um, and I, I was on the council of trustees in our diocese for six of those years, and and and, and I was always you know sitting at the table and part of the conversation. But like as kind of the ordinary. I'm going to be in all those meetings, but I'm going to be like sitting behind the bishop, you know, like literally right. staffing. Somebody be there, but I'm going to have to keep my mouth shut because I'm only there to serve the bishop. And I, there's going to be very few instances when I'm actually like running a meeting. Um, and that'll be, it'll just be an interesting, interesting dynamic for me. Have you, have you read the book, The Fly in the Ointment mm -mm. by Crabtree? Um, it was the book that Peter Eaton had us read when he came in to be our bishop, and it was I, I found it to be very helpful um, in because it's specifically around that kind of middle management <laughs> in the rubric. Church. Um, yeah. And um, but I found it to be a very helpful book. It's funny he had all of us he had all of us read it, and I only can I can only think of like a handful of us who actually did, but. Um, but it was really good. I, th I found it be really helpful in within that transition, and, and it got me to think a lot about my role as both a chaplain and priest because of mm -hmm. there's this one line in it that I'll, I'll I'll never forget, and then we can get onto the actual conversation. But there's this one bit in it where it talks about um, it uses a football coach as an illustration to say that like you know as a football coach you know all the plays, you know all the stuff that you need to do, um, but you have to trust your players to do it. It's not helpful for you to like run out on the field totally. and all of that. And, and so that, that mentality of knowing when to trust people to do their job, um, which that goes back to our, 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 our initial bit here. And I, uh, with, in regards to the Bishop's responses to COVID, I think is, yeah. is that sense of how much is it giving us the tools that we need to do the work of the church rather than, making proclamations and all that kind of stuff. And I think so that's going to be an important conversation. I'm going to be very interested to see how that plays out next year at general convention. Yeah. Um, yeah. Should it happen? Right. Well, all right. So in, in, in putting that aside, um, 
We are not here to talk about the church. We are not here to talk about uh, COVID-19. We are not here even to talk about racial injustice that is uh, that is bubbling to the surface as we record on the anniversary of the Mother Emanuel AME Church tragedy and the big news also that um, Aunt Jemima is getting a major rebrand. No, oh, I didn't see that. Oh, you didn't see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Quaker Oats is doing away with the Aunt Jemima brand and going to come up with something entirely new. Which I did not know that Aunt Jemima was named after a minstrel song. A min- minstrel song? Oh, like from the from minstrel shows. Yeah. Yeah. I knew of the, I knew of the of the Jemima char- like character kind of conceit, but I didn't I didn't I didn't know yeah. it was a minstrel song. Yeah. Yeah. So like, deeply racist. Yeah. Um. Uh, but we're not here to talk about that either. Instead, we're here to talk about really important matters, things that are of cosmic significance. And that is we began Music Mayhem with. Give me a second. My brain froze. We began Music Mayhem with Teen Spirit. And oh now gosh, we end it thanks. with Teenage Dream. That's good. That's so good. I'm proud of you. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. Like that they came to me in the bathroom this morning. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I want to know. Okay, so this was the Wheel of Mayhem choice, right? We all put our record, our various albums, onto the Wheel of Mayhem, right. and the parameters fate, for which was right one, one that you one love. good, one bad. However, we interpreted that. How we interpret that? Okay. And um, you know, so the the Wheel of Mayhem was spun, and fate decided the lots were cast. And we fell, and they fell upon St. Matthias. No, uh, they fell upon um, Teenage Dream. They got Katie so, garments. Yep. 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 So yep. I need to know, Patrick, because I, 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 honestly, I thought this was a Matt choice. I did not realize oh, nice. this was a you choice. And I thought, oh, my God, Matt again. I, I want to know why was this your, I, I'm ostensibly your bad album choice. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, can, so I, I think... can tell you why I think it's bad, but. I picked the uh, entry. We will get there. Um, I picked Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon as my good album because I just love it. And recently re-listened to it, you know, with my new Apple, you know, AirPod Pro set noise canceling. So like I could only hear Dark Side of the Moon and it was awesome. Okay. So I want to talk about that. And but I was having trouble coming up with like a bad album, you know, and I, and so I took it more as like a what would be something that might annoy people and inspire good conversation, you know? And I think I may have succeeded because only half of the of the Music Mayhem participants showed up for the meeting today. So <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a reason there. Oh, it's growing season. Okay, okay, sure, sure, sure. Um, so, um, no, I, I think I was thinking along the lines of, like, what's some earwormy stuff and, like, I think, I, I don't know. I, I, I think pop music is always like an interesting thing to think about and unpack. And and I kind of had in my mind that Teenage Dream was about 10 years old. And I thought, you know, we're, we're in a different, we're kind of in a different place and like have, have musical pop t- taste ch- changed and let's go, let's go forward. But the other thing I thought about was you know, you guys talked about Thriller last last week, and um, 
Katy Perry was this album is wildly successful, and yeah, and and I recall you know I I I went to a Katy Perry concert um, back in 2011. We went for our second anniversary. When sorry, the Sprint Center in Kansas City, and it was I think it was the day that whatever the fifth single uh, from the album was got to number one on the charts, and that um, I guess I could look it up real quick. But that, um, that, 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 I remember, because I remember them talking about it at the concert or her saying something at the concert, but the fifth, it, Teenage Dream is only the second album in history to ever reach, to ever, never have five number one hits on the pop charts. And right. the only, the other one being Bad uh, by Michael Jackson. So I think that like, Michael Jackson was in my brain. And, and I just think, like, no matter what you think about the album, like, that says something about its stickiness you know right. and that and that, that and that that's something that is interesting would be interesting to talk about i don't know okay um so following the format we've had in previous episodes um do you have any uh, initial thoughts initial thoughts um yeah so i can't say i've ever actually listened to the whole album all the way through but when i did listen to it all the way through my first thought was well i had kind of had two thoughts at the same time one of them was was my God, the bass line, the bass drum is just incessant in this thing. Like just like boom, 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 boom. You know, which I guess is like dance beat stuff. So that so I had that thought. But then the other thing I I, I had as listen when I was listening to it, and I, I had this feeling that I was gonna be on the defensive side of whatever conversation was being had. And so I kept trying to find like some kind of redeeming value to anything that I was hearing. And the one thing that I just kept, every time I would listen to a lyric, I just kept thinking to myself, like, there is no nuance. Like, there is yes. no subtle, there's no subtlety. It is just like, not only is the drum beat in your face the whole time, but like, the, the, the lyrically and thematically, it's just in your face the whole time. And... And even even I can't remember what there's well, there's one song where it takes a break, but like I, it, I, just, I, I just kept thinking to myself, man. And so then I started spinning out and thinking, like, is that what pop music is? And like, I want to really like pop music. And I, and I think I do like a lot of pop music. But is that does 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 I was trying to think about has there been like complex. You know, like when we we're talking about Guster, it's like there's not a Guster song. There's not a single Guster song that has lyrics that are this popcorny, you know? Like they all, there's always some kind of like meta, but there's plenty of metaphor in this, but it's just like really heavy-handed, obvious metaphor. You know? I think a good, I think a good comparison to that, what you're talking about, is Lady Gaga, um, who is de- is decidedly a pop musician, but the but lyrically is playful and there's poetry and you know like even in those instances where she's being sort of overt like in um i can't remember what song it is she talks about take a ride on my disco take a ride on the disco Mm -hmm. stick or whatever like even that line which is probably you know the meaning is very obvious is still kind of like there's a playfulness to to that it's it's subversive because she's a woman and right you know there's um Um, another, another pop musician uh, that, that, but of course we're talking now 10 years later, pop music is very different, but like a contemporary pop musician who I think does this 
really masterful artistry with pop music is uh, Maggie Rogers. Mm-hmm. Uh, her her single Alaska. So she she studied music, I think at NYU as part of like their pop music program or is there some kind of music program? And she decided to use like pop music as her artistic expression. And so her her thesis or whatever was um, ended up being, I think, the song Alaska, which is her first single. And she performed that for Pharrell Williams. And he was like, this is perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's got some really great, like really great lyrical work and themes. And there's like some real emotion and depth to what she's doing. But it's like also like bright and you can kind of like dance to it or whatever um um so i, I think it does exist I, I i just don't think Katy perry is it i i think that um well i could get into my thoughts so i, I don't want to overstep you so so i just had those those two thoughts just like incess, incessant is i think the mm-hmm. word okay um and i and i and i i think i was i was i was surprised for someone who is as popular as she was and is, and apparently she is on a tour that's COVID canceled now. You know, she's still putting out stuff, but she's just not a good singer, which I was surprised, which I was a little surprised by. I think I expected her to have a, to be a little bit better of a singer. So that's, so those are three things. Yeah, I, my feeling after listening to it. So, I got so much to say. I, I don't know if this is, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to come across as I'm trying not to be misogynistic at all, but like there's this definite feeling to me of listening to that, like being hot gets you really far in life because mm-hmm. like listening to her music, all I can think is, is that there were people that were just like, Oh yeah, she's hot. People will watch videos. So like, here's a career. Um, it doesn't come across as like, she has something to say. Yeah. Um, I, but, but let me let me couch this also by saying that I was actually kind of looking forward to listening to this because you know I've heard Firework a million times and I'm like you know like there's like a positive vibe to that song like and it's not bad and I was like kind of excited to listen to it and then you shared the information with us right. that she like sexually assaulted one of her one of her background That's dancers nice. in a video. Yeah. And that immediately peppered my entire feeling no. about <laughs> listening to this. Because now I'm like, oh, I'm listening to the music of a dirtbag, which is kind of interesting Jackson. coming yeah. after Michael Jackson, where, you know, I, I sort of we, we we sort of danced around that that topic a little bit. I um and, and we started broaching on the conversation whether or not you can appreciate something in spite of like the, the person's like awfulness or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I'm kind of like, oh, I'm a hypocrite, maybe. But. I just it, but it gives us like just a me. It was like the day before I started listening to it. You, 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 you sure. shared that that news, and so I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. So I, my initial thoughts really are that it is amazingly shallow. Mm-hmm. You said incessant and like just upfront, and I think that that's it. It's like, I, since you use the word shallow, it just makes me go to like a surfing place. I'm just thinking like shore pound. It's just like, it's just right there pounding without anything underneath it it's just just flat like there and like lyrically like i i wanted to i wanted to like things but then i'm listening to the lyrics and i'm like if there's there there's no artistry here there's no poetry it's just Mm -hmm. there are words being Mm -hmm. sung and 
Yeah. Yeah, but, and, and I and I and I get that and I and I was thinking about it this morning in the shower before I came in and I was like thinking about how the the con the, 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 the counter argument that I could hear someone say to that is, you know, well it's pop music. What do you expect? And I I, I came to this really weird place of comparing it comparing it to like Godzilla. So Godzilla King of the Monsters came out a couple of years ago. People criticized it for the, the human actors not being good. And a bunch of Godzilla fans were being like were being like, well, you don't go to a Godzilla movie for the, for the human actors. You go for the monster action. And that only happened in Godzilla King of the Monsters because so many people criticized the lack of Godzilla's appearance in the 2014 Godzilla movie, which was like all about human actors and like right. very little about Godzilla. And 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 so I'm like thinking like, well, what do you people want? Right. Like you're saying like there's not enough Godzilla, but now you want nothing but Godzilla. And there's this attitude of like, you know, you can't have it both ways. You know, you you you. So like this idea of like, oh, it's pop music. What do you expect? It's not, you know, it's not art, but it is. It is art and it should be saying something. And especially I think there's an obligation where clearly you are marketing this to teenagers or preteen mm -hmm. girls. What are you saying with this? And, you know, so listening to it with that in mind, I'm like, man, this is I'm very bothered by a lot of it. And mm. there's also no depth. And so that's those are my initial those are my initial thoughts. Well, so so I don't I don't think I have a problem with it. And I don't I don't I don't I don't care as much that it's being marketed to preteen girls or whatever. I, I want to stay away from that and except to say that I think that the messages in it are in, in are leaning toward trying to be trying to do empowerment, you know, and so I want to like honor that. Um, I think, but, but when, but as you were talking, one of the things I kept thinking to myself was what does it say that five of these songs became number one pop hits? Because what, what, what pop music does is it holds a mirror up to us mm -hmm. and we should be able to learn something from what is popular and where, you know, where culture is or where we are as 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 society or something like that i don't know i don't want to maybe I, maybe i don't need to make it deeper than it than it is but the, the these are earworms right mm -hmm. like the, the, like I, I it's fun it, it actually even though it was incessant to me it was fun to listen it was fun to listen to and not even fun to hate i was going to say fun to hate but like the songs are catchy you know and i and i find myself humming them you know, and 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 I think that it's okay for it to this. And I'm not, I'm not. I'm trying not to say like it's pop music. Get over yourself. But I, but I, but I do want to say like it's pop music, and it, it and so it does what it accomplishes to it, it, to do is to be like played in clubs and like have you hum along and like it does that, and that trying to like mine a deeper message from it. I'm I'm I don't I don't think I have as much time for that as you as you as you do. You know, maybe. I well, let me say this. So just wrote by way of biography, I did I did like no biographical reading on on her other than, you know, I, I focused a little bit on her relationship with Russell Brand, which then led me to like read about Get Him to the Greek, which is a funny movie. But um, and I actually wondered if the character of Susie Q in that movie was based on her, but um, not was not apparently. But the. Um, but the thing about Katy Perry that for me is always going to be in the background 
is that she grew up as an evangelical Christian, was an evangelical Christian musician, released mm-hmm. records as Katie as Katie Hudson, um, and then doesn't really get anywhere with that career, and then suddenly comes out the gate with "I kissed a girl and I liked it," and well, that's right. Yeah. There's this there's this thing to me. So, so this is where my perspective comes in as as a as a former evangelical myself. And I wish JP or Matt were here to talk about this too, because I think we would we would all sympathize with this sense that there's a thing that happens when you leave evangelical Christianity, um, when you get when you get away from that bubble, because evangelical Christianity is different than other forms of Christianity in that you're in a bubble, right? You're you, you know you're largely encouraged to listen to Christian music, to frequent Christian businesses, to read Christian books, to watch Christian movies. Like it's this whole it's this whole like alternative world to the to the to the so-called real world. And what happens when you leave that and you get away from it, there's this tendency to react really strongly. And you see this, and I see this with a lot of Christian musicians. Like I've seen it with Derek Webb. I've seen it with David Bazan of Page of the Lion. Um, that when they leave that world and then they kind of reject it, they swing to this other extreme of like being like wild a little bit or just like really pissed off at it and kind of like aggressive going in an aggressive opposite direction um and and even like focusing a lot of the attention on like some person they've fallen in love with as and sort of attributing a, a sort of spiritual language and truth to that as though it liberates them from this oppressive thing they've come from mm-hmm. um and I see a lot of that underneath her music. There's an element of like a try hard piece that she's like trying really hard to be like, I'm not Katie Hudson. I'm not the evangelical Christian girl that everyone, you know, that, or that people have now become aware of because, you know, they didn't know who she was when Kiss a Girl came out. But then that started to kind of come around a little bit more that, you know, she had this previous career. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's this, there's this, there seems to be this real like pushback to that identity. That's the way I see a lot of the music, just because I've seen it play out with other evangelical artists. Um, but then there's also this other thing that happens where there are, it, it is inescapable. It will always be a part of your identity. And so there are elements of it that are always going to be there. You know, Tori Amos, um, who I've been listening to a little bit during Music Mayhem, Tori Amos was raised by a Methodist minister. And even though she kind of rejected that, elements of her Christian upbringing find their way into her music. Um, mm-hmm. David Bazan, who left a, who who left evangelical Christianity, declared himself sort of like a non-theistic person, um, still sings and talks about God in his music, um, and it's very and from a fairly rich place once he's sort of been liberated from that. And so, like in this album, there is "Who Am I Living For," which that song sounds like there's elements of god in it that it sounds like adjacent to like a christian song um and so so there's this wholly complicated thing i think with it i will say that i think that the half the second half of the album is way better than the first half i think she's actually saying interesting things in the in the later songs Mm. Uh, i think the first songs are just they're just pop music drivel like i just like (laughs) don't like them um but um, but we can get into it. So do we want to go song by song on this one since this album is shorter than Want to Be Starting Something? 
Sure. Yeah, we can. I was amazed at how short this was. Yeah, yeah, I went. It went quick. It was like one one drive from Manhattan to Topeka for me. Yeah, like once, um, not like the movies ended. I was like, oh, oh, it's done. Yeah, like it just ended. Um, all right, I have notes. I, I did wrote, not take notes. Yeah, I wrote so. little notes. Um, I already kind of with teenage dream. I, I I wrote. There's this whole post-evangelical thing where someone puts their faith in some person they've fallen in love with. This seems songs to reflect. This song seems to reflect that. So I already I already mentioned that note. So yeah. So so is it appropriate to do some uh psych some armchair psychology as well and ask you <laughs> ask you if you I, I hear you say that and criticizing it and I'm thinking to myself. Methinks thou dost protest too much. I mean, maybe. And, I just remember myself at her age when she recorded yeah. this. And, like, the same things were going through my life and going That's through That's what my I'm life. saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, as long as you're aware of it, I guess. And I, I just want to make sure that, that our, our listeners understand that this is not, this is not a gendered thing. That this is that this 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 broad blanket statement you're making about what happens in post-evangelicalism is something that you also have experience with. Yeah, and 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 I think, and I guess the thing that gets me is, is like I actually want more. I want her to be more examined, like examine that more. Like I really want her to be more like engaging with that part of her life, rather than just sort of papering it over. And that's why I think the later songs are way more interesting than the earlier songs in the album. Um, but like Teenage Dream, I mean, I you know, what a, I don't know, I just. It just, I mean, it's a, it's a good pop song, I guess, but it, it's what the same five words repeated like a million times. Yeah. It, the thing that I don't like about Teenage Dream, I, I, I told myself I was going to come in and like defend this. Um, I, I, I think that you did think it as a bad album, Patrick. Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> I, I don't. I think the thing that, like, when we talked about, like, it being marketed to teenagers or to pre-teenagers, I think the thing, I, I don't care about the sex, the sexiness of it or the sex of it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm glad that there's, like, an element of empowerment or anything. But I, but I also, I don't like the facileness of, the, of what love is supposed to be. And I think you see that in basically everything, <laughs> is that there's this, like, immature there's this immature understanding of what love is and and that and that 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 that, that just reinforces it reinforces stereotypes it reinforces cultural messages about what you're what you're looking for and that it it turns out kids that it's so much better to not be in the teenage idealistic mode of what love is you know that's what i that's the problem i have with teenage dream about the song yeah I, I kind of see this is where like I your your comment there reminded me of another thing I thought of this morning that I was gonna I should have written it down in regard to this but this this feels like like sort of like teen ex, like exploitation like it's mm. it's because she's it's what around, how old like twenty something yeah I mean it's yeah. written by it's written by guys in their thirties and forties mm-hmm. like a lot of the songs every song has like five or six writers on it um and and so you're you're seeing you know mostly adult men trying to write songs about teenage emotion and at what point is there an obligation to like you know like at, at what point is it even real for that matter yeah. um 
um, you know, because I, I can get when we get to when we get to um, the one that got away is I'm going to get into where I'm concerned about some marketing stuff that's going on with this. Um, the, the, the way that it's sort of treating teenagers as a marketing um, thing. Um, but um, I forgot what I was going to go with that. But it just it just felt. But oh, yeah. Compared to, say, Blink-182's Enema of the State, which is an album written by super immature dudes um, that I think does a really good job of got, you know, they're, they're in their mid twenties and they're sort of, they're sort of reflecting a quarter life crisis a bit. If you listen to that album, um, revisiting their, their high school teenage years as sort of glory days a bit. And it has this, there's this element to that album that feels like it really does capture the emotions that teenagers experience, but in a way where it's not like attempting to be in the mind of a teenager, it -hmm. is revisiting it. Um, Like going away to college, I think is a perfect song in terms of that, about the fears of what it's like to leave home and, and growing up and all that kind of stuff. Um, Whereas this seems like, like you said, that this idea of love is like so surface level. And so like, I don't know. And like, it, you know, it sort of captures that kind of Romeo and Juliet element of I'm 14 and this person is like my entire identity. Yeah. Yeah. But also like, is it possible that we're not getting it? That's, that's also it, possible. Is it, is it, is it, is it meant to be satire? <laughs> I don't know. That's actually a really good point. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe That's actually is. really, I, you know, now, now I may have to listen to it again from the perspective of yeah. possible satire. Um, all right. Anything else on Teenage Dream? No. Let's okay, go, TGIF. All I wrote was post-Christian tryhard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think that the, my favorite TGIF type song is also another Dr. Luke joint, um, TikTok by Kesha. <laughs> You know, it's the same kind of idea of like, you know, yeah, I'm going to wait, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do it again and I'm going to do it again and I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to keep doing it, you know. But you know what? TikTok sounds like Kesha actually did it. I'm not convinced that <laughs> Katy Perry actually did anything in this song. This sounds like a teenager's idea of like what like an early 20s wild night sounds like. Yeah. And I also was listening to it. I'm thinking like, man, what a different world 2009 was because like now everyone's like Friday night. Like, I just want to watch Netflix and stay home. Like, I don't want to spend a bunch of money on drinks and debauchery. (laughs) Do 20 something still think that or are you just saying like 30 somethings are that? No, 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 no. Like that's what I mean, based off of the memes that I see online. Yeah. And based off of what have teenagers told me when I worked at when I was mm-hmm. at St. Andrews School, that the general attitude is like they would rather like be at home and watch Netflix than like go out and tear it up. Well, it's also because we're living through, you know, the the what the, the era of TV where everything is just so good. There's just so much to right. watch, right? Right. Um you know, but um yeah, and <laughs> the other thing I was I'm trying to like the chronology of that song is what's like bugging me. Like, <laughs> like she opens up by saying 
that she's like, you know, like, what did I do last night? But then she's like, last Friday night. Like, wait, wait, like, you're talking about what happened a week ago? Or like, it's like, are you implying that the that the hangover was so severe you've slept for multiple days? <laughs> hey, that's possible. Um, but then, then she like, says, this Friday, this Friday, this Friday night, we'll do it again. again. But that's forward looking. It could be a it could be a Saturday. It could be it could be a Saturday. But would would you Did wake you... up on a Saturday and say last Friday night? No, but maybe I need those. I need the I need the the syllables to make the lyric work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm gonna get into a lot of that pedantic nonsense. With one of the things one of the things that I wondered about was I was thinking about the timing of. Do you remember the um that Friday song? Yeah, uh, Rebecca Black. Rebecca Black. That was 2000. That was like right around this, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. just just before it, maybe. And no, so no, after um, it was after. Was it like, after? Yeah, because that was like a big thing. That was like a big thing when I was at Holy Trinity. I remember because like a lot of the mm-hmm. a lot of the youth were were making jokes about that, and that was like 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a, uh, you know, one of those this, songs about like a wild this. party. <laughs> Perry revealed, there's nothing better than an impromptu dance party with my friends. My track, Last Friday Night, TGIF, is a song about debauchery because I had one of those nights, one of those nights, in Santa Barbara. We went out to this place called Wildcat and got crazy, Perry admitted. We had a couple of beers and danced until we died, then brought the party back to the hotel room. She added... Most of that song is actual truth, apart from the menage a trois, unfortunately. But yes, streaking in the park, that's what we did. So we had to write a song about it the next day. Exclamation point. I still don't believe she did it. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like PR, like this is, we're going to drum up some notoriety. Mm -hmm. We're creating an image for you. We need you to be like this. Um... But who knows? I believe women, right? So she, she, you know, she, she had a, she had a nice, she had a fun, wild night. Um, all right. Anything else on? No, let's go forward. California girls. Would you write down? Girls. girls, girls, right? All right. This is where I actually start get a little longer. Okay, so nothing about this song is distinctly California, other than the constant reminders. <laughs> How is this a, quote, response to Empire State of Mind, end quote? <laughs> that song has deep references to the city. This one could literally take place anywhere. Yeah, but, you know, you can't wear Daisy Dukes and bikinis on top of everywhere, you know? In Florida, and, which is, that, to yeah, me, is a more Florida work. look, by the way. Like, that's Daytona. When I hear Daisy Dukes with a bikini on top in the back of a Jeep, I think of Daytona Beach. Yeah. I noticed that all they say is like, like the Gold Coast is the best. And then it's like all about like girls from California and like what? what? OK, fine. You want to do a song about California girls and you sort of want to play off of the Beach Boys thing. Right. Which even though Brian Wilson's trying to do something way more interesting than what this song is trying to do, that's fine. Um, by the way, that's going to be a recurring theme in my complaints about this is that this is that her and her interviews and in her music attempt yeah. to reference far better musicians in a way that sure. is not meaningful. Um, but the, the fact that she comes out and says, like, in the stuff I read, that this was meant to be a response to Empire State of yeah. Mind by Jay-Z and Alicia Keys, which, 
Empire State of Mind is about Jay-Z's life growing up in New York. And he is like, it's basically a song of him driving through New York or riding through New York and reminiscing. I mean, at one point he points out like where his stash spot was. Right. right? And so that's like, it's a song about New York City. It's also deeply, it's also, this is also why I'm I'm, I'm liking the satire thing more and more because both because it's Alicia Keys and because of Jay-Z, it, it's it's very earnest, you know? And it also it also feels like a post-9-11 tribute song, even though it was right. eight years later, you know? Like, it's it, there's a there's a, there's a a love and a respect for New York and in, in, in its melody and in its lyrics, you know? Whereas this is just like, if it, if it is an answer song, it is, it is completely, an, completely different, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's entirely just about um, the pop um, and the and the surface again. Yeah, but I was also so thinking about like I was yeah. also thinking about like what part of California are we talking about here? Because it's a huge diverse state. Like you're not talking about the Valley. You're not talking about San Francisco. You're not talking about Oakland. Um, yeah, Southern know. Southern California. Yeah. So that's that. All right, firework. I like firework. I used to like Firework. <laughs> I actually really did. Until okay, I listened to it. it. Yeah. So I wrote, opens with an American Beauty reference, but then uses a flash-in-the-pan metaphor as a way to ascribe profundity and beauty. Show them what you're worth. So like a thing that explodes and gets a second of attention <laughs> and completely fades away. The moon is at least reliable. And then I wrote in all caps, how the hell is this related to On the Road? She claimed that this was inspired by Jack Kerouac's On the Road. How? Uh, self-discovery, empowerment, I don't know. That's uh... but like Okay, so, you know, I've listened to this song every 4th of July because it plays at every fireworks show at 4th of July. No, it doesn't. And, right, and, like, and of course I've seen the interview, or the interview which it uses it to, like, hilarious effect. Um, I can't remember that scene, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, but like this whole idea of like, okay, like, oh, it's empowerment. Like it tries to, it sounds like an empowering song and that's great. And, and I'm, you know, even like the chorus, you know, baby, you're a firework. Oh, I get it. Like it's big, it's beautiful. Everybody pays attention to it. Right. And I would be on board with that if she didn't open it with the American beauty reference about, do you feel like a plastic bag blowing in the wind, mm. which is such an iconic image from the movie American beauty. And it's such a perfect, so image, yeah. but it's such a perfect image of like capturing what like a teenage boy who's into art thinks is deep and profound mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and it's one of those things like it ages with you and so this actually may yield credence to your whole thing that this is actually satire yeah. um but like now that you've used that reference which is all about which is basically an utterly empty image now i'm now i'm thinking of the firework as this isn't really all that empowering basically you're you're like be really awesome for a second yeah burnout burnout quick yeah. Yeah. It's interesting um, about that, though. Uh, Firework was the first song played after Hillary Clinton accepted the Democratic presidential nomination at the 2016 Democratic mm-hmm. National Convention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anything else on Firework? <laughs> or we just leave it at that? No. Let's go All on. right. Peacock. Peacock. Oh my God. This is. I think this is where I first had the like. No nuance. Yeah. Like. You think you're being clever. But you. But but you really are. But you really are not. 
What is it? Someone was it was it New Yorker or Spin? One of them I read. There was a review where it said that like, oh, she actually like used the word to mean the thing. Right. Like, there there is no double entendre. <laughs> I mean, it is. She's. But yeah, it, it is. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, Peacock was I, panned by music critics and musically was compared to the 1980s hit Mickey. <laughs> oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. And Gwen Stefani's Hollow Bat Girl in 2000 from 2005. Um, I wrote song is super uncomfortable after learning what she did to that model. <laughs> so for those listeners who don't know the the model in the teenage dream video, um, he said that he was invited to a roller skating party where she was there and yeah. he came up to say hi and she pulled his pants down and showed his penis off to everyone and was yeah, like, gathered everybody around. Yeah. yeah. Like, look at it. And so now that you've got this song that's all about showing that off, like, it's super uncomfortable. I also wrote, this thing is basically sexual assault, the song. And then I wrote, flip the genders and you'll see what I mean. I mean, listen to, like, you know, like, show it to me. I want to see it. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Like, jeez. <laughs> Settle down. Holy cow. When asked about Peacock, Perry stated, I'm hoping it will be a gay pride anthem. Peacocks represent a lot of individuality. It's not just like, I want to see your bulge. And then she went on to clarify, it does have the word cock in it, but art is also in fart. It's all in how you look at it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, man. Oh, (laughs) jeez. And the funny thing is is that Firework is the one one that kind of became a queer anthem. What I love is I, I I love the headline the headline from the Entertainment Weekly article is Katy Perry debuts new song Peacock. I'm hoping it will be a gay pride anthem. I feel like anytime you release something, hoping that a demographic will latch onto it and make it an anthem, right? You're probably barking up the wrong tree. Oh yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's a demographic that you are not of. Right. Moving on. Um, <laughs> circle the drain. I wrote, ooh, so edgy. She talks <laughs> about vague addiction and uses the F word. She really thinks she's being deep here. Yeah, this is the one that has like a gothic um, uh, kind of a, uh, industrial kind of a tone yeah. to it. Which I was like, at first I was like, oh, is this about like, is this when her and Russell Brand were breaking up? Because like that could be mm-hmm. interesting. If this is a song about you know his, you know his struggles, um, but nope, it, they had started dating like just before this started. Like so, mm-hmm. like she had written this like sort of concurrently with with all of that. Um, oh my gosh, her quotes are just they're I, amazing. I want to get they? I want to get all of these quotes on t-shirts. Well, <laughs> what do you got? What do you got? <laughs> Billboard. Uh, okay, Entertainment Weekly writer Leah Greenblatt stated that Perry's lyrical talent is not her strength, adding, neither, in fact, is rhyming forte with foreplay, <laughs> as she does painfully in the druggy boyfriend takedown, Circle the Drain. Billboard journalist Monica Herrera found the song to have been inspired by Pat Benatar's material, while Perry herself said, it's kind of like my you ought to know Alanis Morissette moment. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> no, you can't. You can't compare yourself to Alanis Morissette. Yeah, I, I feel like this was. Um, we 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 had a quote 
from Justin Timberlake when we did um, In Sync's, um, whichever mm-hmm. one it was that we did. Um, no strings, I, yeah. No strings. And I remember we 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 laughed at the fact that it, it revealed it revealed how Justin Timberlake was you know young and just unaware of what he was talking about, and he because he compared himself to some musician where everybody was like, dude, no. Um, you know, and, and since Justin Timberlake has become a powerhouse, but um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's like, but it, it kind of got fulfilled, right? Yeah, um, that's oh my gosh, this is my you ought to know. Oh. Uh. All right, the one that got away. This this, this that, that's a good segue because my first words when I wrote the note was a Radiohead reference. Because she opens about like listening right. to Radiohead, and I'm like, oh, okay, so I said, so she's guilty of making allusions to much better music. This one comes across as the musical equivalent of wearing band T-shirts from Hot Topic or Spencer Gifts. If you're going to reference Johnny Cash or Radiohead, that needs to mean something more than just a name drop, so that teens think you're more musically broad than you actually are. Yeah, that one was really disorienting to me. the The Johnny Cash, the Johnny Cash one was it didn't hit me as much, but the Radiohead one, I was like. This song, like, it doesn't. Your music doesn't have to sound like the band you referenced, I guess. But does it have to be the like polar opposite? Yeah, and like, in the sense that it's to, to me, it's like, it's like, oh, I've seen I've seen Radiohead shirts at the mall, so I know that they're an important band, yeah, right? Like I walked I walked by Spencer's and and saw the the t-shirt wall. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like I know they're important, but I don't really know who they are. I don't know. I mean, if 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 the result of this song is that some teenager like was like, oh, okay, computer, I'll check that out, and then suddenly becomes like, like really into Radiohead, then cool, good job, Katie. Um, mm. But it's just now I will say I, I wondered about this song a little bit. There's a um, Jewel. Jewel has a song off of her first album. Um, give me a second. Um, it was one of the three singles off of her first album. Someone like no, someone like you is Adele. Anyway, I I um I can't remember which song it was, but basically she describes Jewel. Jewel describes this um this guy she was with, who's like all artsy and into Mozart and like, mm-hmm. and I, I remember I, after I listened to it a couple years ago, I messaged JP. I was like, oh my gosh, like I think I've just listened to a song that like sounds like it was written by someone who dated me when I was in college. Like I'm the most insufferable person. Like that's what it sounded mm-hmm. like, and. And so this song that sort of references and is meant to make the the make the the love interest of the song sound like this pretentious person. I'm almost wondering if this song might be trying to do something similar to that that it's the one that got away but like when you're a teenager you think that this person who listens to all these people is like really something deep in which case like again if you're if you're if 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 your satire comment is true about this then this song is actually not bad. Yeah. But, yeah, but it's, it's interesting. Still... Like, I, I, I only take this one to be like super earnest and in that way problematic because okay. it's that same kind of thing. It's that same issue I had with the teenage dream thing, right? Like, you're pining for this thing. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just, it, it, it mostly just is depressing, you know. And like, I wanna, I just wanna give her a hug, you know. If this is if this is real and not satire, and she is actually looking back and thinking about somebody who got away, like move on with your life, man. <laughs> yeah, 
E.T. Yeah, E.T. I, um, I wrote I, nothing. Okay, <laughs> which is probably more of an indictment. Um, I think it's it's hard to put a you know six syllable word into your um, into your song, and I think it I think it kind of works. Extraterrestrial. Um, but then again, it's about like I don't know. Apparently, I read some. I read along the way last night that I didn't see the actual quote, but that it. I did. Um, um, I did see that apparently it's like meant to be a song about falling in love with a foreigner, which is. That's, yikes. that's funny, funny that you say that because I I was right there. It was at the tip of my tongue when I was thinking like this um, fetishizing of otherness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you're touched so foreign. You know, it's supernatural, and, and you know, it, it's interesting thinking about the Christian upbringing. Like, supernatural and extraterrestrial are not the same thing colloquially. Right. So is she? Maybe she's Mormon. Actually, <laughs> Scientology. Yeah, or Scientologist. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I like. I don't hate it. I don't hate any of these things. But they do. <laughs> is it about Russell Brand because he's so different? Um, I, yeah. I, um, well, th- but this is now, now, now this is an interesting conversation a little bit because there is this, there is this element when you, when you first leave the evangelical world and you experience being with someone, you know, who doesn't fit into that world. Yeah. There is definitely this sense of like, you are in a foreign and otherworldly thing, and it, it's it's it is enticing. And so, like I said, I, I I want to I really want to know how much of how much of that is informing any of this. Of course, she didn't write most of these songs by herself, so who knows? But it is an interest. Like, but she did choose the the songs and the themes and stuff. So I am. Uh, it is it is an intriguing subtext. Um. Um. You know, so um, who am I living for? I wrote maybe the most interesting song on here as it could be seen as her grappling with her faith a bit, almost akin to David Bazan at times. But it's also so generic that that it's hard to say that it's substantive. Yeah, I I don't I don't recall. I don't recall this one. It's uh, forgettable to me. Okay, she makes references to Esther. um, um, But like that. But there's the, the overall theme of the song is sort of like it's kind of there's almost an element similar to so to get back to DC Talk for a moment. There's a song off DC Talk's Jesus Freak album called "What If I Stumble," and it's basically the band confronting confronting the, the fame and what fame means for them as Christians. And so the question mm-hmm. is is like how much pressure is put on them as Christians that are famous? Um, you know, what if they stumble? It opens with a um, it opens with a um, Brendan Manning, with Brendan Manning, a recording of him talking, saying that um, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who follow Jesus with their lips, but then live lives that are very different. And he said, this is something that, a, that an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Um, and so there's a similar uh, there's a similar theme to, to Who Am I Living For, where it's like, I'm famous, like I'm in, I'm in fr- like there's this rising fire inside of me. There's all this stuff happening inside of me. Um, there's a lot on this line, but then this question of who am I living for? And it, it, it does make this suggestion. Is it, is it for something bigger than herself? 
mm-hmm. or you know and so i i mean again it's it it's it, but it's but it's worded in such a way that it's not it's almost like i almost wanted to believe that maybe she tried to make it a more overt song about these kinds of questions but mm-hmm. then some of the other pop songwriters like wanted to water it down more saying that like people won't listen to it if it's too thematic this way yeah um like it, it, but it's interesting maybe but it's also like the you know it's on the b side or whatever it's not like right or get to the yeah. pop, get to the pop charts okay. um pearl what do you get for pearl i got nothing for pearl yeah i, I wasn't familiar with this one I'm, I'm i'm revisiting the lyrics a little bit and um it does it, it's again it feels like it feels like an empowerment empowerment song that's critical of the way that um the patriarchy treats women. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, in that way, I think it's good. Like, as much of that can be out there is, is good. I don't, I don't remember it musically at all. Like, it just it just in, in one ear, not the other. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that she does this thing where she's like sort of talking in the third person, singing in the third person about this woman who used to be a pearl and now she's an empty shell. Mm-hmm. Which that that image that metaphor doesn't work, by the way. She could be a statue of liberty. She could be a Joan of Arc. But yeah, what does that mean? He's but he's scared of the light that's inside of her, so he keeps her in the dark. Yeah, there's a lot of references to light inside coming out in this album. Um, uh, you know, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bring bring this up in the next song too. Um, so I, I had to look and see if, because I know that like the big hit maker of the pop songs in the '90s, particularly um, Britney, Britney Spears' "Hit Me Baby One More Time," mm-hmm. was a Swedish dude, right? And he. He cre- he was trying to create slang, English American slang, with "Hit Me Baby One More Time," like because you know that song of course has been criticized for being sounding like it's about abuse, um, but what he was trying to say was like "Hit Me Up" like on the phone, call me. Yeah. But it was so it was like it a, was it was, Yeah. Yeah. But it was like a like Swedish guy. Yeah. But it was like a Swedish guy's attempt at American slang. So it has right. this like it's close enough, but not really, right? Mm-hmm. And and I was wondering how much, how much of that was in. The, I tried to look and see if some of the songwriters were a part of that same Swedish music, hit making circle because some of the language, some of the metaphors just don't really work. Mm-hmm. Like they're close but not enough. Like again, she was a pearl, but now she's an empty shell. Those two things aren't connected. Those aren't related. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're related Sweet in the sister. sense that you pull the pearl out of the shell. Right. But, right. um, but that but leads to like hummingbird heartbeat, which I wrote mm-hmm. down, probably the best song on the album. Um, mm-hmm. but it does sound a bit like she doesn't know much about hummingbirds. As it <laughs> spread my wings is not an image one associates. That, that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of a fast heartbeat or whatever was good. Okay, can I tell you the? Can I can I read you her description of the song? Yes. Yes. Okay, so it was inspired by Russell. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. I was at breakfast when I saw this hummingbird, and hum- the hummingbird was having breakfast as well. And I don't know if you know, but hummingbirds are supposedly good luck. And I was just thinking about hummingbirds. And I was thinking, how fast is their heartbeat? Like, <laughs> how many beats per minute? And using that idea as an idea for someone making you feel, instead of those butterflies, making your heart beat really, really fast. It's like it's just like so on the nose. Like again, it's just like it's just right there. There's just no there's no depth to it. It's oh man. Yeah, yeah, and, and apparently the song is it, the song was recorded at like 122 
beats per minute. So I guess the mm. the beat the beat is it is meant to sort of mimic a hummingbird's heartbeat or something. I don't know. Okay. But but it is probably the best song on the album. I mean, it's and I think if I recall, I think she sang this song at some award show or some live performance I saw on TV. And I remember like they were showing videos of Russell Brand. Mm. When she I think this was the song. Like everybody made this big deal. Of course, in their relationship just like crashed and burned. It would did, yeah. Did did before we move on, um, yeah. what's your what's your relationship with hunting, hummingbirds? Are there a lot of hummingbirds in Florida and, and the Hawaii? There are there are a few in Hawaii. I haven't seen any yet. Um, we do have them in Florida. We actually had um, we actually had a tree outside of our outside the window of our house in on the campus of St. Andrews School mm-hmm. that was one of those little trumpet flowers that like was meant for hummingbirds to come. Right. Um, but the problem is, is every time it went to flower, the school came by and like hat racked the bush. So we never yeah. only once did I see a hummingbird mm. on it. We, I remember hummingbirds in Southern California when I was when I would visit my grandparents, um, and I honestly didn't know that we had them in Kansas. But when we went to stay with my in-laws between houses, you know, in the last several weeks, um, they had a hummingbird feeder on their on the porch of the guest house we stayed in, and and um, and so we filled it we filled it up, you know, made the sugar water or whatever, and put it in there. And then there was like three different species of, of hummingbirds that ate at that thing, and those things, it was crazy. Like they are loud, actually. If you're anywhere, you know, proximate to them and not, you know, through a window, like they buzz a lot. And in fact, I had a. This was right around the time that murder hornets were a thing. Remember that season mm-hmm. of 2020? Yeah, um, like that, like minute. And I, I, I was out there, I was out there doing something, um, and one of the, one of the hummingbirds came and buzzed my head, you know, and kind of, and, and all I could hear was, you know, like. And I was like, I'm gonna die. Murder hornets, they're here, you know. <laughs> but it was it was just a hummingbird. So I'm I'm a fan. But you're right, yeah. they don't really soar. They don't they don't spread their wings. Yeah. They're, their wings are constantly in motion. Right. Right. Which could also be I mean, could be an interesting metaphor for the relationship she had with Russell Brand, maybe. Like that she it was exhausting trying to keep up. Mm-hmm. Right? You could use that as an interesting as an interesting uh, uh deconstruction there. Um, I don't know. Not like the movies. Um, which um, is not the Alien Ant Farm song. Um, that was that was their second single off of their album that also featured their their really great cover of Smooth Criminal. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I wrote also a good song, um, but I said it's it's another one that has an evangelical undertone with the whole idea of God's perfect will. She doesn't outright say that, but she's singing about love in such a way that's very familiar to me. And the growing up that there's one person out there for you. Right. But I thought that, I think that's problematic. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kept listening to it and, and I thought that the, if the message had been like, if it's not like the movies, that's okay. <laughs> but it's yeah. not, it's like, it, it's like, but, but again, like I, like young girls, like women need permission to break it off. Right. Right. But like, do you need to hear it in a pop song or do you need to be validated in your actual, you know, human relationships to be able to do that? I don't think you should, I don't think that, that measuring up to some imagined ideal like the movies or, you know, like I, there's some, there's some movie where, where, where I remember like 
the the message was like, oh, you have to have the foot the foot pop moment or something. I can't remember what the movie was, but oh. like when you when you kiss, your foot should your Isn't foot that legally should come blonde? off the ground. Is that what it is? I think I it's legally know. blonde. I just know that. Or has it never been kissed? Anyway, know. that that whole thing of like, it's not real. It's not gonna build. It's not gonna build up to anything. It's not gonna become something more if it doesn't. If it's not this, I just think that's a really dangerous message to send mm-hmm. to really anybody, and um, and can lead to just a lifetime of disappointment. Well, know? considering, I mean, considering you know, that that was an issue that I struggled with my entire life of this idea that there is only one person out there for me. And so it creates the situation of like, you only date that person if you think they're them. Mm-hmm. And, and so then you just get so like, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I had so many unhealthy relationships with women throughout my like college years and into my twenties, mm-hmm. because like I was everybody so, was bought, the one. everybody yeah. was the one. And, and so if you they, stay in abusive or harmful relationships longer because you're like, it must be the problem must be me, if this person or, isn't the one. Right. Yeah. Or 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 you you start bordering on abusive behavior yourself because you know mm-hmm. like, oh you're the one you can't leave, right? Or it just it, there's just so many messed up things that come out of it. And like I you know I, I just think about like how much my faith in God was sh- was shaken every time a girl broke up with me, right? Because it was like oh she was the one. You told me she was the one, mm-hmm. right? Like you just get so convinced of that, and so like it's just, it is such an unhealthy thing. And that's, I mean, we we talked about this a little bit when we uh, a while back on the podcast when we did the episode on um, kissing, dating, goodbye, um, mm-hmm. and um, because that was like his whole thing. And he, you know, um, he's now come out and said, Josh Harris has now come out and said that that was like bad. That was like a bad mentality, and like. You know, well, convenient for you to do that now after, you know, I can think of at least five marriages I know that were ruined because of his book yeah. um, and because of people rushing off to get married because mm-hmm. that's what you're supposed to do. Um, but yeah, I and yeah, anyway, yeah, it, it is an unhealthy and I think dangerous thing. Um, and then the album just ends, by the way, yeah. like the song is yeah. just done. And you're like, oh, oh, OK, there's no like moment. It just we done. Yeah, but how can you, I mean, the 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 term for that in, in narrative pacing is the denouement, right? Mm-hmm. But like, if your if your songs are all just like super shallow and like direct, right? There's not actually like a peak to it. Then you don't. The denouement is like a, a slow ramp down to nothing, if it's anything. So there's not there's not like a need to bring it down really. <laughs> there's not a need to have it like wrap I guess. Up. Um. But anyway, yeah. So that's uh, that's Teenage Dream by Katy Perry. Do you have final thoughts, Patrick? Listen, I think I really want to be. I don't know if we've talked about this before. I think we have. If we've not talked about it on Master Divinity, then I think you and I have talked about it. But I'm I'm trying really hard to be defined by what I like rather than what I hate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I and I. And I, I do, there is something, there is a soft place in my heart for the, the, the female-led pop music of the late aughts and early teens because that was, you know, early marriage, you know, going to weddings, going, uh, you know, parties at, at VTS, like, 
it was the mu- it was the music that was kind of like happening. And then so so I, I would include like Lady Gaga and, and Kesha and you know all those yeah. kinds of that 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 ilk. Um, so so I'm I don't I do not like this album as an album. But I have to say I have to say that whoever whatever the like mill that churned out both the character of Katy Perry and the music that goes with her her you know her and dr luke and whoever else and i know dr luke's a problematic person right now and all that but like it is a very successful pop product Mm -hmm. and that that can be a good i i can respect that even if i also am like annoyed by how shallow everything is you know yeah i i think i I agree with you on that and i think it was you know there was a very important time i remember on road trips with Kana and stuff around this time, I would just put on the radio because I was like, I need to know what's actually happening in music. I just sort of feel like listening to pop music. And so a lot of this stuff, you know, would show up on the radio. And I really, I really wound up liking, liking it. Um, but I think now that like I've actually sat down and listened to this whole album, I think this is one of the lesser products of that of that time period and i feel like a lot of the stuff a lot of the ground that's being covered here was covered better by someone else yeah um i mean for i mean what like born this way right didn't born this way come out around the same time as firework i think born this way is late is much later later okay yeah um this is this is this is around the time of um uh poker face and uh all those ones yeah those those may have been a little earlier that's that's true, um, but like for example, like you mentioned, you brought up TikTok in comparison to mm-hmm. last Friday night, two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. I feel like TikTok. Oh no, you're right. You're born this way is two thousand eleven, so it's it's close okay. to this. Yeah. Time. So like I feel like so I feel like the message of born this way is a similar message to what she's trying to get with firework, but it's yeah. so much more. It's so much more effective. Yeah. coming from Lady Gaga. Um, Who is already a gay icon, right? So she could, like, she could create a gay right. anthem. <laughs> it wasn't like Katy Perry being like, you know what would be really great? What would be really great if I did, like, a, a, an album that was, has a whole bunch of rainbows on it, and then I did a song about fireworks. I bet that would be a good gay anthem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like, you know, when, when companies stick gay flags on their windows and their logos and stuff during the month of June to kind of make it look like they're, hey, we're gay friendly, like at a time where it's, you know, low risk to do it now. Or like all, all, all these companies now that are sending, it's like when COVID came out, when COVID happened, like you got all these emails from everybody, all these companies saying how they were responding to COVID. And then like the same companies are also like, oh yeah, now we care about black lives as well. <laughs> here's, here's all these emails about like, we, we as a company support this, like you're not changing anything about, you know, you're still, you still have an entirely whiteboard and CEO and like no diversity like you're not creating any actual change in the world like you're just you're you're, you're seizing a moment for for gain oh yeah yeah um so I will say this and my final thoughts on on uh, teenage dream okay lyrically it's shallow um message I guess I think other I think other pop musicians of the same time period covered the ground more effectively musically like just in terms of just the music itself it's yeah nothing nothing new but my god is it catchy 
I mean, I'm like brushing my teeth this morning singing last Friday night, you know? Um, and the thing is, it's like as, as, as empty as an, as empty as I think the song firework is, it will always make my spirit soar when I hear it. Right. I am a firework, Katie. Thank you. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I know you're telling me just to be a flash in the pan, but you know what? Damn it. I'm going to burn out bright. Um, light up the world. I'm going to go boom, boom, boom. That's right. Um, boom, boom, boom. Brighter than the moon, moon, moon. Poetry. She's a genius. So there we go. All right. Well, you've got to go. I've got to go. Lunchtime for me. It's dinner time for you. You have a family and kids. Those two things are completely related. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks everybody for sticking with us for this, uh, two man, uh, edition of uh, Master Divinity. Yep. It's been uh, quite a journey through music. Uh, Junhin. Yeah. Want to thank Officer Matt for not being with us. And I want to thank uh, JP for not being with us. Um, because, you know. That's then how it would have been a pylon, I think. That's, that's, that's part of the problem, right? Maybe. <laughs> like it wasn't. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I have a feeling Matt would be a defender because Matt really loves pop music. Really yeah. loves, um, and that's fine. He was that's able cool. to turn you all around on on uh, NSYNC too. So hey, I think I, if anything, if anything, this proved to me that NSYNC actually has depth. <laughs> um, so with next that, time we'll do Gaga. All right. I love. I almost thought about submit just suggesting Chromatica because like it's brand new. I haven't listened to it yet. Let's just throw it out there. Let's do it. Um, but um, all right. Well, Patrick. It was good being with you. It was always good being with you. It was always good being with you. Thanks for this time. Mahalo. Yeah, you didn't say aloha at the beginning, so you have to say mahalo now. Yep. All right. And also, aloha means goodbye. (laughs) Aloha to you. Aloha to you. Good journey. Good journey.